The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. How are we? It's good to see you. Uh, Happy Mother's Day once again. I had something pretty profound at the beginning of the service, and the four of you that were in here at that time got to hear that. So, uh, just kidding. Um, Well, it was. I hope it was profound. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter two, please. Acts chapter two. Uh, We have been walking through the book of Acts, and uh, as I've said before, Acts is really what it looks like when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. So what we've seen so far is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. He ascended into heaven and sent his spirit to empower his disciples on the mission that he gave them to be witnesses of his resurrection uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Last week, we saw Peter, uh, Peter, the, the sort of the chief apostle, get up and address a crowd uh, that had gathered proclaiming with, with, with Holy Spirit power the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the church all of a sudden experienced, uh, we'll call it cryptocurrency growth, right? It went from 120 to over 3,000 in like five minutes. And, uh, and those people had surrendered themselves to Jesus. And the question became, well, what do we do now? We can't fit in the upper room anymore. There's too many of us. And so today, the passage we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2, for many of you will be very, very familiar. It's those last verses in chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Um, But here's here's the reality. Though what we will see is a beautiful picture of what can happen when the gospel really does sink deeply into the hearts of God's people, there's a danger for us in sort of over romanticizing this text as well. I hear people all the time say, well, we just need to get back to the Acts 2 church. We need to get back to the Acts 2 church. And I agree with that in part. But as, as truly awesome, awe-inspiring as what we're about to read is, you have to acknowledge as well that this was a logistical nightmare, right? 3,000 people added to this little church of 100. They, are, they suddenly become the world's first megachurch. And 96% of them are brand new Christians, Which, if you've ever been around new Christians, it's awesome because they're zealous and excited for Jesus, but a little rough around the edges. Uh, And not only that, they only have 12 leaders, and one of them's brand new on the job. Uh, Oh, and by the way, they're from all parts of the world and speak different languages and come from different cultures, right? So this is just a train wreck when you think about the, 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 the logistics of this, and yet it's beautiful as well. The rest of the New Testament is essentially the apostles writing letters to local churches as this church multiplies, uh, they're letters of course correction, right? Stop doing that. (laughs) Don't do it this way. Do it that way. And they're trying to course correct because this movement has taken off and and it's, you know, in danger of coming off the rails. But Jesus is faithful and and, and he'll sustain it and the the, the, uh, apostles are, are helping sort of lead the way. This gives me great encouragement because the last year, not just for our church, but for every church I know of, uh, has been a mess. Every church leader that I talk to says they're, they're in a, a season of rebuilding. And here's what I really think has happened. COVID 
and everything associated with it have not created deficiencies in the church. They have not created deficiencies in our discipleship processes and methods. COVID has simply revealed the deficiencies already present in our churches and in our discipleship. So we have a lot of work to do together uh, to, to get back on track with what Jesus wants for us. And so as we look at this passage today, my prayer for you is that you will, as we always desire, let God's word wash over you and challenge you. Wherever you find yourself, whatever level of commitment you find yourself to Jesus and his church, let his word challenge you and encourage you because what we're going to see here is that these believers went very quickly from strangers to a new kind of family. And it's the kind of family that actually turned the world upside down. So uh, let, me, let me read it. It's a short passage. We'll start in verse 41, and I'll read down to verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, uh, and I'll pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump in here, okay? So this is where we left off last week. So those who received his word, that's Peter proclaiming the gospel, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, that's the 3,120, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all the people. Uh, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, once again, we just come before you in gratitude and in thanksgiving that we can gather as your people. We recognize that there are still some who, uh, who are not ready to return, and so we, we thank you that through technology they can join us and, and pray that they are joining us. And uh, Lord, as we look at this, what is for many a familiar passage of Scripture, uh, may you speak to us uh, clearly and, and perhaps give us fresh insight into what you have said so many years ago uh, help us to not only hear it, but be doers of your word, to apply it to our hearts. And may we be reminded of the grace and beauty of the Lord Jesus, which empowers us uh, to live these things out. So we need you. Uh, I pray that you'd fill me, Holy Spirit, and empower me to preach your word with clarity, with concision, uh, with boldness and humility for your glory and for the good of these people. And we pray it all in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Everybody said, amen. So the question I really want to try to get our, our arms around this morning is, what kind of new family was created here? What, what, what were the marks of this new family that God created through the proclamation of his word? And so uh, there are three marks that I really want to call your attention to. Uh, the first one here in the first couple of verses, 41 and 42, is that they were a devoted family. A devoted family. Let's look at it again. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So after Peter's sermon, 3,000 people, roughly, surrender their lives to Jesus, 
and they're added to the people of God, to the church. And of course, they won't fit in the upper room anymore. So the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we kind of live this thing out? The whole number, it says, we're devoted. That's an interesting word. Uh, I looked this word up in the original language, and, and the word devoted means firmly faithful. Uh, in the classical Greek, it actually has this connotation of, of being obstinately persistent. <laughs> I love that. These believers, these brand new Christians, were obstinately, stubbornly persistent to what? What were they devoted to? I'll get to that in a second, but, but realize here that it doesn't say they just went to church. In fact, you're hard-pressed to find many verses in the, in the whole Bible, in the New Testament in particular, that say go to church. And why is that? It's not because they didn't value gathering as the church. It's because just simply going to church was too small a category for them. This was something that they reorganized their entire lives around. There was a new center. His name is Jesus, and everything revolved around him and, and, and around his mission and his people. So they were devoted. What were they devoted to? Four things the text shows us. Firstly, the apostles' teaching. Now, you have to realize that only a handful of these over 3,000 believers had been with Jesus throughout his three-year discipleship course. And, you know, Jesus was not in the publishing business, so there were no written materials at this time. And so these apostles, these, these 12 who had spent the majority of their time with Jesus over the last three years, spent a ton of their time teaching about Jesus and his kingdom, which is exactly what he told them to do in Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. So that's exactly what they're doing. So, so what we have here are, are people who are hungry to learn about Jesus and his kingdom and people who are passionate to teach about Jesus and his kingdom. Now, of course, uh, we have the, the scriptures, the New Testament completed. Um, one scholar actually said this is definitively the teaching of the apostles. So we have in written form right before us uh, everything Jesus commanded us, everything the apostles taught, and the question for us becomes how devoted are we to the word of God, to reading it, to letting it read us, uh, to, to studying it, to learning who this God is that we worship and, and how he desires to be worshiped and what it means to walk out this faith that we claim. So these people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, de devoted, in other words, to the word of God. Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. Now, this is a churchy word these days, right? When you hear fellowship, you might think of old ladies in an old church basement, you know, with a potluck or something. Uh, because a lot of churches have fellowship halls, uh, which always was weird because it ends up being the, the dingy basement, which is the fellowship hall. It's like, let's create the most hospitable place. How about my basement? And yet, this word actually, um, it, this word was used to describe uh, business partnerships. This word was, described to, to, was used to describe marriages. So this is not just... Um, uh, chatty niceness fellowship. Th this word is, is so much deeper than that. When you think about these apostles and these disciples, these, these 3,000 people who were gathered from all different kinds of cultures, right? Remember, the, the word of God was proclaimed to them. They had gathered from every nation uh, uh, for Pentecost, and then they get to hear the gospel, and now, now they believe in Jesus. 
Fellowship really means common, what's common, right? There's a common bond. So, so they were able to look past all of the differences and to see what they shared. What they shared was Jesus. Now, remember that they had different backgrounds. They spoke different languages. They had different customs, uh, largely probably different political affiliations, different interests, but they shared Jesus, and Jesus was enough for them. And I wonder if Jesus is enough for us. Sometimes I'm grieved when I, when I look at the state of the church in the, in the West, particularly in America, because I, I feel like we have let the culture infiltrate to the church to the degree that um, it's hard for some people to imagine that you can even be a follower of Jesus and not vote the way that I vote. It's hard to believe that you can be a follower of Jesus and, and even... Uh, read articles from that news website, whichever one your flavor is, you see. And and yet, they were able to look past all of those differences, which in the end do not matter. What matters is Jesus and his kingdom. And and they were able to see that what we have in common is Jesus, and that draws us into greater fellowship. Charles Spurgeon, one of my my favorite preachers um, from the 1800s, he said, the same magnet, Christ Jesus, that attracts sinners to himself and changes them into saints, simultaneously draws them into closer fellowship with one another. So they were devoted to the scriptures, to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. Then it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, Literally, breaking bread means to eat together. Uh, You see that actually in verse 46. Uh, when day by day they were attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. They were sharing meals. Now, some have translated this or interpreted this as also being communion. That It's symbolic, right? The breaking of bread is, is communion. And perhaps that's so, but it was most likely part of one of those fellowship meals around a table. They would be in homes and celebrating together. I'm almost certain uh, they did not have these little rip and sip thimble cups that we're going to use today. Uh, Nevertheless, we'll make do, okay? And I'll have to teach you how to open this thing in a little while because it is quite tricky. Nevertheless, they they broke bread. They, they, They shared meals with one another, and they broke the bread in communion to remember the one who died for them to make them family. Enemies of God who were now children of God. Uh, Enemies of one another. We see in Ephesians, right? Jew and Gentile opposed to each other. Uh, Now one family of God by the blood of Jesus. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to uh, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And then it says to the prayers. Uh, Many commentators have pointed out that there's a definite article, not just to prayer, but the prayers. Because they, they were still Jews. And the Jews had... Uh, three specific times during the day in which they would gather to pray. You see that actually in chapter 3, uh, in, in verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, you see. So, so they, they were still participating in these corporate times of prayer together, and, and most likely privately they were praying. They were dependent. These were a people dependent on the Lord, asking God to do what only He could do in their midst, in them and through them and for them. So let me just summarize quickly. Uh, these early believers were devoted. They, they were devoted to worshiping Jesus. He was a priority for them, uh, not just in their minds, but on their calendars, 
uh, in, on their wallets, as we'll see in a little bit. Um, it strikes me that, that in these first days, there, there were no lukewarm believers. There was no half-hearted devotion. Uh, there was no one just showing up and playing church. Uh, they had reoriented their lives around the person work of Christ, and, and God had brought them together as a family. Now, as this, as this pandemic, by God's grace, is, is lifting, it seems, at least in our area, here's what I'm seeing. Uh, some who were part of our fellowship are just in the wind. They're gone. And um, despite our efforts to reach out, to uh, inquire, to pray for, to uh, no response, uh, I think some have completely walked away from the church, some possibly even the faith. So there's a winnowing, a, a, uh, a cleansing, if you will, of the church. And it's, it grieves me to see that others... Um, have not yet felt ready to, to return, and, and I respect that. We're with you. That's why we still provide the live stream. But I have a hunch as well that there are a number who, who have just grown out of the habit of devotion to God and His Word with His people uh, in prayer, in fellowship, and, and maybe are slowly re-engaging. Um, and I'll mention this in a little bit, but, but the last year has allowed us to withdraw, and it's really hard to re-engage sometimes. Now, if you're one who is, is here, and maybe this is your first time back, or you're watching, or maybe it's Tuesday and you're listening because, you know, uh, it's available, I just want to challenge you with, with all the compassion and love that I have. Uh, it's time to return. Uh, it's time to be devoted once again to God and the things of God, the people of God. Online, uh, podcast on Tuesday, video, even right now if you're watching live, cannot replace uh, being together as the people of God physically. Now, again, if you have a, a, a medical reason why you can't, I, total respect for that, and, and we're, you come at your pace. Um, but for any who just have been, let me, let me say lazy, just not engaged, just it's easier not to. Uh, it's time. It's time to regather. It's time to be devoted. Now, you guys with me? Okay. Uh, so not only do we see that, that God marks his people as a devoted family, but they're a generous family. A generous family. Look at verse 43 with me. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I love that this whole community is experiencing awe, um, but not because of the signs and wonders. Do you see how uh, awe preceded the signs and wonders? They experienced awe, and it's almost like Luke's going, oh yeah, and there were some miracles too. I love that because what, what it's telling me is, in other words, they were not devoted to signs and wonders. They were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to one another. And when they were devoted to Jesus and to one another, God blessed them with his presence and with his power. And, and at this time, miracles happened. Now, a lot, of, a lot of ink has been spilled by people way smarter than any of us in the room who have different opinions on whether some of this is still for us today or not. I will let you make your own 
uh, decisions on that. But what is undeniable is that when people are devoted to Jesus and to each other, his power and his presence are, are there. They're available. So awe came upon all of them. They were seeing Put yourself in this, in this picture for a minute, okay? 3,000 believers. You saw Peter proclaim this message. And honestly, like, it wasn't the most eloquent sermon, right? Remember last week, point, point number one was you killed Jesus. Like, it's not like the most, you know, touchy-feely sermon. Uh, and yet God moved in power and brought these 3,000 people uh, to saving faith. And now they're all gathered together from all these different cultures and languages and all these different places. And there was a recognition that, that God was at work among them. These people were passionate. They were devoted. They were loving Jesus. They were loving one another. They were unified. And so they couldn't help but, but just stand in awe, in reverence, in amazement at what God was doing. You know, so many of the things that we call awesome uh, today are not truly awe-inspiring, right? We just, we overuse that word. But, but this was truly awesome. It was awe-inspiring to see God at work among them and through them in such a way. And then it says that they were all together and had all things in common. Now, some commentators have tried to, to use this and to say that this is sort of a forerunner um, of, of some brand of socialism or communism. And uh, quite honestly, to that, I have to say nay, nay. Uh, that is not the case for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, other churches in the New Testament did not necessarily follow this example. This was not a prescription for all churches in the New Testament, or, or nor is it for us today. This was, you have to put yourself in the context, this was a unique moment, a pivotal moment in the history of the church. Uh, all these believers are gathered together. They're, they're, they, many of them were from all these other nations and had heard the gospel and now they're following Jesus. And what do they need? They need to be discipled. But not only that, because they don't live in Jerusalem, they're not from Jerusalem, they need to be discipled. They also need meals. Uh, they need places to stay. They need hospitality. And so in this pivotal moment, the rest of the church family pitched in to take care of the needs. This was not commanded by Peter or the apostles. This was voluntary. It was willing. It was as any had need. And so here's how I see this happening. Uh, the disciples are gathered together and the apostles are teaching them everything Jesus commanded, right? And so Jesus, um, his most famous teaching and sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. So, so perhaps the apostles are there and they're like, okay, Jesus was on this mountain and, he, and here's what he said. And, and they're starting to hear about, um, about not holding on to your treasures on earth, but having treasure in heaven. They're hearing the apostles talk about, um, don't be anxious for anything, right? Uh, God will take care of your needs. They, they're hearing Jesus talk about, um, when you give, don't, don't give publicly as the Pharisees do, but don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing and be generous in those ways. They're hearing about all the one another's. You know, there's 59 one another's in the New Testament, uh, but these were not the creation or invention of the apostles. There are teachings of Jesus that the apostles heard and then passed on to us. And so they're hearing about things like accepting one another and serving one another and, and bearing one another's burden and regarding others as more important than yourself. And every lesson from the apostles had a practicum. 
You know, uh, today we're going to learn about bearing one another's burdens, and uh, Tom over here has a burden today, and we're going to bear it with him, right? It, 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 so they're learning how to apply what they're hearing and learning daily. And so they would share the load as a family, like families do, until that need or that burden was relieved. This, this was a generous people. They gave freely. They gave joyfully. They gave sacrificially. They gave abundantly. And I don't just mean out of their pocketbook, although that was included. It says that they, they sold property. Uh, they distributed possessions, the proceeds. I mean, they, they were liquidating whatever assets they had. But not only that, they, they were giving of their time. They were giving of the, the, the abilities, the skills that they had. You, creating an environment where you can feed and host 3,000 people, like a conference every single day, is quite a lot. And, and so it required a lot of outflow from these disciples to one another, not only financially, but, but of, of their abilities and of their time as well. But they did whatever it took to make sure that everyone in their family was okay. And as Jesus told them in John 13, um, we'll see this in a minute, it was attractive. It was, it was missional. Like other people started to inquire about this thing because the way that they loved one another demonstrated that they belonged to Jesus. So I think we have to ask the question, are, are we generous? Are we a generous people? Um, and if I had to answer that question for us as a congregation, um, for 12 years running, I would have said, absolutely, we are. Absolutely. And I still think we are. But here's what I've realized. Uh, the, the last year has done a real number on us and other churches. We're not alone. As I said earlier, every church leader I talk to is in the same boat we're in. We have spent the last year largely isolated um, with everything online, everything from our work to our school to church, online and on demand. And you can get just about anything delivered to your door these days, right? Home Depot will deliver to your house uh, just a box of nails. If that's all you need, they're coming, right? It, it, it's the Amazonification of our culture. And uh, your groceries and hot meals delivered right to your door. And we haven't had to lift a finger except for the little mouse button, right? Everything's been for us and to us. And, and we are simultaneously, the more I talk to people, here's what I see. We are simultaneously exceedingly lonely and weirdly selfish at the same time. And many people are just getting to the point where they're, where they're starting to open up their hands and be willing to receive a little bit from, from others but not quite willing yet to give. And, and don't, this, I'm not talking about giving financially, although that's a part of it. I mean giving of time. Time seems to be the most valuable commodity in our world today. And, and you and I only have 168 hours a week. Uh, and depending on how cat-like you are, you're going to spend 50 to 120 of that sleeping, Right? That was funny, y'all. I don't know where you're at this morning. Um, so we all have limited time, but I think we have to really ask a hard question of ourselves, and that is, um, how much of my time is devoted to God and his people? 
Am I being generous with the time that I've been given towards the things of God, towards the things of God's people to advance his kingdom, to love and serve and bless one another uh, because I belong to Jesus? Or do I look like the rest of the world and my calendar is full of a lot of meaningless things at the end of the day, we stand before the Lord, most of what we devote our time to is meaningless. And so there's no difference between us and the rest of the world in the way that we manage and use our time. Uh, but because we're devoted to so many other things, we can't be or won't be devoted to Jesus or his people. Now, finally, uh, we see that not only are they a devoted people, not only are they an attract, I mean, a uh, generous people, but they're an attractive people, an attractive people. Uh, day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and listen, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, when I say an attractive family, uh, I obviously don't mean physical beauty. Uh, although there might have been a looker or two in that group of 3,000, we don't know. What I mean is there was something magnetic about them. There was something that drew others into their community. They would all gather together at the temple, uh, likely a place called Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch, which is sort of at the outskirts of the temple covered area that would likely fit this large group of people. Uh, we see that in chapter 5. They all gathered together at Solomon's portico. Uh, and then they would scatter. They would scatter into homes to, to worship, to pray, to share meals, to share life. So, so notice it was a both and, not an either or. Corporate worship and smaller group worship, if I can put it that way. Not either or. Because here's the reality, either or Christianity will not produce the freedom, the joy, the generosity, the power, or the appeal that is available to us through Christ and the power of his spirit. Now, if, if you are participating either in corporate worship or community group or small group Bible study or, or men's or women's group, whatever, I'm glad for that, okay? But I, I just, I love you enough to tell you that either or Christianity is not going to produce the results uh, that God wants for you. It's like it's like having a gym membership and going, you know, once or twice a month, you know, or, or, or just diet without exercise or exercise without diet. Like, they, they, they go together, right? If you want fruit, if you want results, they go together, and that's the way God has designed us. Um, I read an article yesterday on uh, the, the fallacy of people saying, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church, right? Like, he, his argument was, if you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, you really don't love Jesus. That was his, his premise. But but here's one of the things that the author said. He said, you can't love God without loving his people. And loving his people means that you die to self, that you bear with one another in love, that you obey the commands of scripture for personal and corporate edification in order that God might be glorified. It's both and. We love God, we love his people. We're committed to God and his people, both corporately and privately, they go together. And so not only is God glorified when we live this way, but people outside the community are attracted. Uh, Jesus says that the church is to be a city on a hill, not us individually as isolated cities on hills, but we, the church, are a city on a hill. In other words, on the social landscape, we stand out. 
We're distinct. There's a light that comes from us as a community. Now, not everyone loved the church in the early days. We'll see that as we get a little later on into the book of Acts. Um, uh, it got hard. It got very difficult for the believers. They were actually end up uh, being, being run out of Jerusalem because of persecution. But here, in this moment, they enjoyed a favorable reputation publicly. There was a great unity among the believers, even with the great diversity, and and it was amazing to watch. Now, hear me. um, These early believers, they weren't protesting. They weren't fighting for their rights, whatever that means. There were no bumper stickers on their camels, right? They, They simply loved Jesus and one another really well, and it had the aroma of Christ to it. And people were drawn in because even in a religious society, you have to remember Jerusalem is is Mecca for the Jews. It is the place. It's the home of their religion. And even in Jerusalem, these Christians were so distinct, so countercultural that it attracted people. They were drawn in by it. Unbelievers saw in these believers what all people really, really want deep down. Family. Family. Devoted family. Generous family. Joy-filled family. You see there that they they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. (laughs) They were imperfect, but, but because of their devotion and their generosity and their joy, they were They were a captivating people. Now, what made them this kind of family? What what made them this kind of family that would turn the world upside down? It's the way of Jesus. Jesus spent three years with his disciples modeling this kind of family to his disciples. And by the way, he chose people that he knew were, would not be good at Christianity. <laughs> he chose guilty failures, which ought to give hope to any of us in the room this morning. But those disciples, they, they witnessed his devotion. They, they witnessed him devoted to his father, devoted to his father's words, uh, de- devoted to prayer. You know, he would pull away at, at times to, to get with the Father and to pray. They saw him devoted to them as a community. Uh, he, was, he was there for them. He was pouring himself out for them. They witnessed his generosity. They, they witnessed him always healing people, always helping, always blessing, always providing for. They, they watched him live the only perfect life that's ever been lived. They watched him die the only atoning death that's ever, that's ever been died. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. That, that's ever happened. For them. For us. He died for the guilty. He rose for the helpless. And when that truth starts to sink deeply into our hearts... That is when we are attracted to Jesus and attracted to his church because we know there is no other hope for this world. 
so, so these early believers, they set out by the power of God's spirit within them to make Jesus known and to model his way. And as they did, other people were drawn into that community. The other people, it says day by day. It doesn't just say they were saved. It says day by day they were added to their number. Not only did they surrender to Jesus, but they were welcomed into the family of God. It was both. They, they, they met Jesus and became part of the family all in one, in one stroke. They were drawn in. They surrendered to Jesus. They joined the family of God. And, and listen, uh, every Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church on the planet today, uh, if we could do like a, a family tree, you know, like Ancestry.com for churches, we could go back and trace our lineage to this 3,000 people who were devoted, who were generous, and who were attractive. One commentator put it this way. He said, he said restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness. And they were witnessing by the way that they loved and served one another. And continually, churches rise from that witness. I love that. Let me say it one more time. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually churches rise from that witness. Multiplication will happen very soon in the book of Acts. We'll see this, this ragtag group of you know, screw-ups and failures who are trusting in Jesus start to multiply and, and churches be planted all over, and we are caught up in that. We are a part of that today. So as I, as I uh, wrap up, here's what we're going to do. Um, I have one question that we're going to put on the screen for you, uh, and then I'm going to give you instructions on communion. Um, uh, rather than me just saying a bunch of things and sort of presiding over it, we're going to kind of do what we did uh, pre-COVID, which was I'll let you take it on your own time, but I will show you how to do that. So let's get that question up on the screen real quick. <clears throat> uh, all right, here's the question. And this is just something you can contemplate. You can write it down if you want to, but, but maybe before you take communion, this is, this is what you can contemplate. How does the gospel of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection for me, his devotion to the Father, his generosity, right, his, his attractiveness, how does the gospel of Jesus free me and empower me to a deeper devotion and a greater generosity towards God and others? So I don't want you to hear this as, the hammer coming down. You should be more devoted. You should be more generous. Yes, we should, but we can't. We need the power of the gospel. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus to change our hearts from the inside, right, to understand his generosity and his devotion, that Jesus would give his very life for ours, and we need the Spirit to empower us to live this kind of life, fully devoted to Jesus and to one another, and generous with our time, with our finances, uh, with our energies, with our gifts, with our talents for the glory of God and for the good of others. So how does this gospel free me from selfishness, from uh, apathy? How does it empower me to be more deeply devoted, to be more generous towards God and towards others? Okay, uh, before I pray, let me just tell you this. Uh, so there are two little tabs here. If, if you don't have one of these communion cups, by the way, uh, we, we, will, we have more available, and if you will raise your hand up, we'll get one to you. Um, but there's a thin plastic, uh, clear plastic on the very top, and that uh, unleashes your wafer, okay? Uh, and then you can sort of bend the harder plastic triangle 
and pull it back, and that'll, that'll open up your, your juice, okay? Uh, I hate these things, but it's really important that we share in the Lord's Supper uh, to get together, uh, and so this is the way that we can do it right now in a COVID world. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I want you to think on this question. You know, Jesus told us on the night he was betrayed, he told his disciples that, uh, that we should, in remembrance of him, that as we, as we break the bread, uh, as we share the cup, uh, that we should do this in remembrance of him, in remembrance of his life and his death and his resurrection. So that's what we're going to do. Um, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a, a moment of silence, uh, and the band's going to come back up. And as they do, you can just take time on your own uh, and, and take this bread and take this cup. You just pull your mask down quickly. You can take it and then put it back up and just hold on to this cup until the end uh, of the gathering, okay? So, uh, Father, I thank you so much for your kindness, your generosity to us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as a people. Thank you for the challenge and the encouragement of Acts chapter 2, um, not only in, in what we heard today, but all of chapter 2, as we saw the Spirit fall, uh, as we saw the disciples empowered to testify to the things of God, as we saw Peter proclaim the gospel uh, last week to, to those people and those 3,000 respond. We thank you so much for the way that you are still moving today. The book of Acts is, is not complete because you are still on mission through your church. So help us, Lord, to, to be faithful to you, uh, to be faithful to one another, to be devoted, to be generous, uh, and make us attractive to the world around us because there are so many people in our city and around the world who are dying, literally dying, and will spend eternity in hell. So Lord, we, we, need, we need to live on mission, but we need a fire within us. We need to be devoted to you and to one another. We need uh, to be generous we, we, in order to be attractive. So help us, Lord. Help us now uh, to repent of our selfishness, of our apathy, uh, of our lack of devotion. Help us to be devoted. Remind us of the beauty of your gospel, uh, and may that empower us all our days. We love you. We thank you, and Lord, as we respond to you now through communion and through uh, singing, would you be honored and glorified, and would you fill us with joy in your presence. We ask this in the beautiful name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.